Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 84 of Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. Want to say a quick thank you to everyone who came to our podcasting panel and meetup at South by Southwest. But we had an awesome crowd, about 80 folks came out to see us live. Quick reminder, InfluencerEconomy.com has all of our archives. If you email me, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com, I'll send you a free chapter of my upcoming book, The Influencer Economy, How to Make Your Idea, Share It with the World, and Thrive in the Digital Age. Ryan at Influencer Economy. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Ryan Williams. So glad you're here for episode 84. My guest is Rand Fishkin, the co-founder of Moz, one of the largest marketing resources on the internet as well as platform for marketers to learn about their analytics. We didn't talk much about Moz on this episode. The reason why I reached out to Rand is because he went through a bout of depression as a startup founder. He also had anxiety and I wanted to get him on the show because he wrote an article called A Long Ugly Year of Depression That's Finally Fading. And one thing I've realized with the podcast is I need to share more personal stories about my own battles with depression and anxiety. I spent the first uh, couple years out of college clinically depressed in Washington, D.C., never leaving my room except for work very often. I really want to thank Rand for coming on and being so refreshingly honest about uh, getting through tough moments and dark moments of your business life and career and this is a very personal episode. I haven't publicly said much about this topic before. If you are depressed, uh, talk to people, get help, realize you're not alone. It will get better. Without further ado. would love to know how you describe what you do when you meet someone at a party that you've never uh, encountered before and, and really what, uh, what it is you do do with Moz and yourself and your career. Yeah, describing myself at uh, well at a party, you have a little more time. The one that's always challenging for me is uh, when I sit down for a haircut, and they ask, "What do you do?" And it's sort of like, well, a lot of weird stuff, kind of. Um, my so I started a company. Uh, I dropped out of college, and a few years later, started a blog that became a software company, um, and that's Moz. And I was the CEO for many years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I stepped down uh, into what we call an individual contributor role, meaning I don't really have any people reporting to me. Um, I work with one of our product teams developing new software. I do a lot of speaking and evangelism and teaching people about marketing, and blogging and writing. Um, I'm writing a book right now. Oh, nice. Which has been an interesting, uh, interesting path. And yeah, I try and... Try and help people do better marketing. And Moz is a great resource. Oh, thanks. You have a lot of great blog content for how people should optimize their websites. And so it's a great resource. And um, are you the sole founder or did you have other people? Uh, so I co-founded the company with my mom, actually. So when I dropped out of college, I started working with her at her small business marketing consultancy. Uh, and I did kind of web design for her clients for a few years. I started this SEO Moz blog on my own as That's like a right. side project, but it eventually became how we generated a lot of business for the main company. And we changed the business name to SEO Moz. Um, and then in 2007, we raised a round of funding and the new investors wanted me to be the CEO, uh, which I took on that role. And then uh, my mom, Jillian, left a couple of years later. Um, she you know, cashed out some of her shares a few years ago in, in one of our rounds of funding. And uh, yeah, so I have a co-founder, uh, but a, a, an unusual one. I think the mom and son team is the, the least common venture-backed startup co-founding team out there. Um, so what was the name of the original company with your mom before it was SEO Moz? I think we were using Outlines Northwest. And did you always have a close relationship with your mom? Yeah, I mean, growing up, for sure. I mean, it's amazing to start a company with. I could not imagine. My mom is a, a wonderful person, and she'd actually be a great co-founder. Um, but nonetheless, she's still family. I feel like there's a fine line there. Even my brothers, when works in tech and entrepreneurship, you we help each other. But I imagine working together day to day, it's got to be a different experience with your mom. And is that something that you look back fondly upon? 
Um, like, did it help your relationship with her? No, no, I think the opposite. Um, and I, you know, I, I, when folks ask me about this, I, I try and be, you know, transparent, but also empathetic. Um, I would say that I've talked to many, many entrepreneurs over the years who have started companies with or worked with family. Um, and the, an overwhelming majority of the time, it's very challenging, uh, particularly in a startup environment. And um, I think there's, there's good reasons why most investors and most of the advice out there is to shy away from it. And now she's a silent partner. So she's, she's living, uh, she's sold most of her stock and she's, is she still day to day in the office? No, no, no. She, uh, let's see, she hasn't been day to day in the office in many, many years. Um, probably, I want to say maybe 2009 or 10, she kind of stepped away from the business more, um, more seriously. And then she, uh, also sold a lot of her shares and stepped stepped off the board of directors in 2012. That's amazing. You your mom were on the same board of the company you founded. Yeah, that yeah. Then took venture capital. So you're imagine you're pitching the company for investment with your mom. Uh, no, actually, it was yeah, mostly our, you. So in 2007, our round in 2007 was very unusual in that we didn't pitch investors. Uh, Ignition Michelle Goldberg from Ignition Partners. And Kelly Smith from Curious Office, a small private investment firm here in Seattle, they both pitched me. Okay. So they, you know, they kind of reached out independently. They'd been reading the blog and seeing some of the stuff we were doing with our tools and software. They reached out, and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about taking investment and growing this thing into something else?" Um, and over the course of that summer, I kind of got excited about it, and we we raised the round in November of 2007 without ever actually pitching anyone. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, well, this is like such a great unorthodox story here. You sort of it took is. investment and it worked out well. And so now that you're you're not you know in the operations, you you work with uh, the product team and you evangelize. Um, do you spend a lot of time working from home? Yeah, I would say fairly significant. Uh, you can see I'm at home right now. Yeah, uh, and I would say uh, a big part of that is just when I am. Uh, able to focus and be alone, I can get a lot done. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, you know, a very fast producer of content and replier of email and funneler and channeler of all things on the web. And so uh, that's been a very efficient and effective way for me to work. But my office is only about a 30, 35 minute walk from here. Oh, nice. And I, I walk to work and back basically every day, um, but often late in the afternoon after I've spent the morning working. How much uh, fundraising did you all get from outside investors? Uh, so we raised that first round in November 2007. That was 1.1 million. Uh, so don't believe the incorrect number on TechCrunch. I don't know why they won't update it. They don't check facts. Yeah, they won't. We sent them the documents and they still wouldn't update it. Fast is uh, better than right. <laughs> they're better than right. They're fast. Yeah, but they won't be fast, not right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Um, they were early adopters. I, now everyone's like that on Twitter. But back in 07 and 08, they were... Oh, yeah. Like When I worked at Machinima, we had press releases that were completely wrong that they had gotten and they read and we like they hit publish and they it was... Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Um, only VentureBeat, I think, is worse. <laughs> but, um, so uh, we, we raised that round. And then I actually tried to raise funding again in 2009, uh, in 2010, and in 2011. And failed all three times, uh, but thankfully Moz stayed profitable. Um, one of the things that's very unusual in the venture-backed world, we basically spent some money for about a year, returned to profitability in 2008, and then stayed profitable all the way to 2012. Um, in 2012, we did raise a round. That was with uh, Foundry. So um, my wife, Geraldine, and Brad's wife, Amy, uh, were connected through Geraldine's blog, um, that's that's how I got introduced to Brad and started a relationship with him. And then, you know, when we were fundraising, uh, I talked to him and he basically we had deal terms in a week uh, from Brad. Brad and Foundry are very unusual and very awesomely unusual in that field. We raised an $18 million round uh, in April of 2012. And then uh, just last month, actually, we did an inside round uh, again with Foundry. Um, and that was that actually wasn't me participating in that. That was uh, Sarah, our, our CEO, who's been CEO for a couple of years now. And uh, she raised the round with Foundry. 
that was $10 million. So I guess that makes it a total of 29.1 million. Wow. That's a big chunk of change. Yeah. A little bit of money. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Brad, who I think was episode number 72 on the podcast was an amazing guest. And so for, um, one of the, one of the impetuses and inspirations for this episode was because you wrote a blog post, uh, couple years ago was it two years ago uh let's see not quite two years ago maybe about 18 months ago 18 months ago talking about um going through some depression as a founder and in general in your life and it was a really cool and transparent uh, way to discuss depression in uh the echo chamber of technology we talk about big valuations and big exits and big earnings but oftentimes like the emotional side of being an entrepreneur is uh, overlooked because it's a lonely gig. Yeah. And uh, my perspective is I've been depressed on and off since college. And I actually turned to stand up comedy in my 20s thinking that was therapeutic. No, it was actually like the worst thing. It was very hard to get jokes yeah. in front of strangers. And, and I always pick creative industries because I felt like I wanted to balance my sort of sadness with being happy. And I worked in film and we really clicked was being a tech entrepreneur working with other founders because I felt like there's an element of crazy to be a founder. I mean, everyone I worked for had their own brand of craziness and I, and there were a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And so I, you know, happily married, I have a daughter and I don't struggle like I used to, but it really resonated with me because there is sort of a taboo in business talking about depression because you can be perceived as weak. Yes, absolutely. And I think not just depression, uh, anxiety, uh, any form of mental illness, any form of emotional weakness. Um, you know, there's a there's a perception of what a what a CEO needs to be, what a founder needs to be. Um, that is, as you and I know, uh, almost no CEO or founder fits that role uh, or fits that model. Certainly not inside their own head, and usually in their private life, that's not how they're feeling at all. Um, but we all project this falsehood and then are encouraged to continue projecting that falsehood. And I think that this creates a, a really ugly scenario, uh, particularly because startups are so are, in, are intensely risky ventures and there's, the success rate is very, very small. Um, even, even the companies that have successes often don't bring their founders great success. Um, you know, financial reward or recognition or those kinds of things. Many, many founders get kicked out of their own companies, get diluted down to where their shares are, you know, worth less than an engineer who joined a few years ago. Um, and and I think that the uh, the tough part of that is that there's not a lot of, I think there's not a lot of sympathy for founders on that front. And much of that lack of sympathy comes from the fact that we don't, we don't honestly tell our stories. Right. We don't show the weakness. We are perceived to be strong because we project, try and project only strength. Um, and then, you know, what do we expect when uh, when things go badly? People are going to cheer because they're like, oh, there you go. Another asshole in tech who started a company who's, you know, down on his luck. Screw that. Right. Guy. No sympathy. You know, it's a first yeah. world problem. Exactly. And. Hey, um, a lot of this is self-manufactured, and I think that's why folks like Brad um, and obviously yourself, Ryan, and, and I believe so strongly in transparency and authenticity to try and fight against this. Which So I have a love-hate relationship with the word authenticity because it means so much and it's overused, but it's the right word to use right now. But in a lot of ways, when you have a company and you're the face, you're not being authentic because no. you're projecting out a role that you're the leader and you can't even tell your employees what you're going through or your investors or co-founders. I imagine in well, your case, like what was your impetus for writing that article? Yeah. Uh, this is, I think this is an interesting challenge, right? Because you, you use the word, uh, you can't project how you're really feeling. You can't tell your employees or investors. Um, and I violated that. Uh, I, I did exactly that. And I think, um, that that sharing or oversharing uh, transparency that is a lot of what led to me stepping down as CEO, right? Essentially, sharing uh, my feelings, which were depression and anger and anxiety uh, and frustration and disappointment 
um, disillusionment. Um, I think sharing those things are turned out not to be, which surprise, surprise, turned out not to be the things that motivate and encourage a team to perform their best or to feel their best about being at a company, um, especially a risky venture like a startup. And because you're supposed to inspire, inspire passion and people and are commitment. And people are taking less money because they have stock and they believe in the big picture. Yes. And yes. so if you're depressed, the mood of the company completely turns on a dime. Yeah. Because they they're mimicking what, you know, your sentiment is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that unfortunately um what I was not able to effectively do is harness a sense of, hey, I am feeling this way. It may not be an accurate way, but I'm feeling this way. And here are the actionable steps that we're going to take to get ourselves to a place where I won't feel this way and no one else should either. Um, and instead, you know, kind of spiraled into, um, yeah, disillusionment and, and disconnection from the work in the company. And that, that, that did not go well. And so did you end up getting to the point where like the company was you? So you're internalizing a lot of the stress like what was one yeah. stress that you're you know you could illuminate yeah um i think one of my biggest frustrations was um particularly around and this is this has been a, a weakness of mine for years and something that um you know between the time that hopefully at some point in the future uh i will be able to uh, kind of do what my mom did and and you know maybe sell some shares and uh, move on and do something else um, I love Moz. I love what it's become, and I love participating there. But um, I would love to start something new in the next, you know, three, four, five years. Uh, the um, when I do that, I think one of the things that I need to do is get smart about software engineering practices because that is a world that I don't understand well. Um, I have always it, been. You had a content blog, right? And then you. Yeah, I mean, I used to build websites. I did a small amount of programming, but I, I did not get a computer science degree. Uh, I don't have anything like the background or understanding necessary to you to, you know, I would never be hired by Moz's engineering team. Right. Today, right? <laughs> um, and, and I think you're that, working with a product team now for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I work with I work with two engineering teams, but I work as the product mm -hmm. leader for those engineering right. teams. Right. So you're good yeah. at like putting together a vision for what yeah. something's going to look and feel not, like. Not not telling them, hey, uh, here's how we should leverage HBase to uh, right. you know store this data and um, you know retrieve these uh, these pieces of information. Yeah, you you've lost me already. I mean, I I, I don't <laughs> even think I could acquire that knowledge, but but maybe it's helpful if you run a company with technology employees. Yeah, I mean, you 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 pick up plenty through osmosis for yeah. sure. But in any case, um, one of the you, you asked about frustrations that yeah. I had and, and problems that I had. I think one of the biggest ones. Or it's more was, it's more interesting for me because reading your articles, like it's like you're you are the founder, you are the DNA of the company. That's contributing to your depression because yeah. that's like your personality. But you can't tell everyone that you're depressed, like we're talking about. I mean, I think there are ways that you can tell people uh, that you're depressed without uh, without losing them and. That is not something that I executed well on, but I, you know, one of the big frustrations yeah. that I've had and, and still have sometimes to this day, although it's certainly gotten much better is that, you know, I will talk to a team of engineers about, uh, something we need to build, right? Uh, next iteration on a product, a new feature, um, a change to how we do things. Uh, and I'll get, you know, an estimate and sometimes that estimate is, is off and that's, that's fine. But I think for. Uh, during this period of depression, we had had a big, a huge big bang project, right? The kind of project that is, you know, months and months of planning and then multiple years of execution before it's done. And uh, that that's not a great way to go about software engineering, first off. But second off, it was one of those things where the date just kept slipping and I couldn't understand why, right? So uh, as an example, if I'm asked to create a presentation for a conference, I guarantee you, I will go up on that stage. I will have a presentation. It will be a high quality one. Right. The audience will enjoy it, right? They'll, they'll generally give me high marks. If I have a due date for a blog post, if I have a due date for uh, a when I did consulting, right? A deliverable, when I had to build websites, 
anything I have to do in my life, right? My book, for example, anything I have to do in my life. If I commit to something, I say, hey, I'm going to have this thing finished when I say I'm going to have it finished. It, it just gets done. And I think that I struggled tremendously and I still struggle sometimes with uh, how even the best software engineers I've ever worked with don't um, are not able to do that. Right. Um, that's a that's a really um, frustrating part of my professional life. It has been for a long time. So when you felt like you you were frustrated, did you see a therapist? I did. Like, uh, you, you saw some coaches you mentioned. Uh, that's different than seeing like a full blown therapist. So I saw. Uh, one professional coach who you might know, Jerry Colonna, who Brad Feld is close with, okay. and talks about him a lot. Um, and then I did see a therapist who also, who specializes in professional coaching kinds of therapy right. and professional executives kinds of and yeah, uh, here in Seattle. Um, and I worked with her for I think about six, maybe between six and nine months um, after I had seen Jerry. And both of those were helpful experiences, right? I think they helped me explore things about myself and come to understandings uh, and honestly to get to a place where um, I think for all of the years that Moz existed from from 2004 when I started the blog all the way up until uh, 2014 when I stepped down as CEO uh, I believed that everything about the company was my responsibility and my fault mm-hmm um, and I think ultimately that's that that's, is true when that's you're the a symptom CEO. of depression, though. Yeah. Right. You, <laughs> well, you, it's like you're blaming in some ways. You take the fall, and you're very hard on yourself often, right? Because yeah. you know something's off. Well, and I think to I did it to a degree that um, removed not only removed blame but removed accountability from other people uh, in our organization and contractors and you know. Uh, even, um, even Brad himself. Right. So I, I remember having a, a very honest conversation with Brad, probably, probably just around 18 months ago where I finally came to a place where I said, Brad, I, I think I'm really pissed at you. And you know, he had, he had this, like, this is great. This is great. Tell me, tell me why you're wow. pissed. Right. Cause Brad's very, that's a refreshing uh, comment to get from one of your investors. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is why Brad's rare and special. Um, uh, you know, I told him I was pissed that he, he knew that I felt like he knew the path we were going down was the wrong one and he didn't push us to course correct. Oh, interesting. Um, I think he gave small nudges, uh, Yeah, but he did not, you know, he had seen this movie before and he wasn't like, okay, this is, this is the part where the car is going to go off the rails. So you're going to want to turn left now. Um, and here, let me just grab the wheel and push that for you. Uh, and I, I told him I would have, you know, I think I would have very much appreciated that maybe a little earlier on. So what did he it, say? He said it was, it was very fair feedback and criticism and that he would work hard to, uh, not just speak up, but to really, you know, pound his fist on the table next time he saw us making that wrong turn. Um, I think that's great. So when you mentioned accountability, you were holding other people overly accountable or you were not, not holding them? Yeah, you're not holding them. Okay. Yeah. Like you're just, right? because I'm it's in your so, world. Yeah, because I'm saying like, this is all on my shoulders. This yeah, is you're all putting yourself in the shoes that it's, yeah. it's, it's falling on you. Yeah. And so when you went to a therapist, was it cognitive based? Were they trying to help you see like what you've accomplished? Uh, or was it like talking about like, you work with your mom. I mean, that's, that's very, uh, if I worked with my brother, I think for a long period of time, it's a different bond. Yeah. I think well, it... I stopped, I stopped working with my mom day to day, probably in uh, about 2009. So, so it's been a while. Yeah. It's okay. been a long time. Um, but yeah, I think we, you know, it's a family business, but maybe not as much as it used to be. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting. I think family business and venture backed business almost never overlap, right? There's. I... There's no Venn diagram for that one. Yeah. Um, I've, I, Machinima, we had two brothers as founders. Yeah. And it was like in their, we were at their dinner table when they were in their teenage years. Like it just, oh, wow. just felt like a lot of fire. People were, they, there was a lot of yelling with these two guys and they were very fired and up and spirited people, but it's almost like they ignored we were all there and we were yeah. just going back to like 
16 years old, like playing basketball in the backyard. Interesting. Yeah, I could, I can definitely like we were flies on the walls to these arguments. You're like, Oh my God, what is, this is, <laughs> this is company's a brilliant idea. I'm staying here, but what is, this is, this is shock. Yeah. Shock. Well, you don't need family dysfunction entering the workplace. There's plenty of organizational dysfunction that happens at companies um, regardless. Right. I think it's, yeah, you don't need that. As hard extra. as you try. So, you when, so when people have, you know, t you talk about startup founders and being depressed, talk about something like is dark, right? Yeah. So, what can you talk more about? Just so people listening know that they're like not the only person that goes through this. Like, what it was really like. Like, did you have trouble getting up, going yeah, to work? This is, I, I mean, that. I think I had trouble. I particularly had trouble with sleep, right? I would lie in bed and um, I had this thing that I, I gave a name to. I started calling it the loop, right? Where I call it, I just get trapped in this loop of regretting decisions of the past, imagining myself going back and being able to change them, realizing how unproductive that was, thinking about what I could do that would actually be useful now, coming to the conclusion that nothing was useful, that we were sunk no matter what, wow. that, you know, I should just give up and, um, and then cycling on that, you know, just for hours in bed before I basically get up and go to my computer and answer email and, you know, just give up on trying to sleep. And it, it was a very bad, very, very bad situation. And was that more like anxiety filled that you felt like I got to go do something now? Yeah, I need to go do something productive because this, you know, lying around and just beating myself up, um, is useless. Although I, I still spend plenty of time beating myself up <laughs> mentally and emotionally for, mistakes of the it's past good for you yeah I, it's, good, it's healthy to mistakes. you know always evaluate yourself but it gets to the point where it's self-defeating and also self-fulfilling because you're like I'm, I'm not doing well i'm failing at this and then suddenly other people oh, are like know. well you're not doing well and then you're just you know magnifying that yeah absolutely absolutely so you know i um one of the big reasons that i wrote about it is i had a, a realization during this this time period that I, I suspect many people who are going through severe anxiety and depression and other kinds of mental and emotional issues have, which is that I really, I strongly disliked hanging out with um, people or hearing uh, from people who said things like, what are you talking about? You did great. You built this amazing thing. You know, Moz is this $20 million plus company at the time right now. It's bigger, but um, you know, we, you employ all these people and you've built up like this wonderful culture and da, 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 da. I hated that. Yeah. Oh, God, I could not. It didn't matter. No, I could not stand to hear, you know, positive stuff and compliments. Even today, I'm deeply uncomfortable with it. Um, like I skip out a lot of the beginning of our all hands meetings because I don't want to hear the rah, rah, <laughs> you know, cheer for this, cheer for that thing. It's just not me. I uh, can't do it. But I did love. And I really appreciated and, and um, enjoyed spending time with my friends who had also been through depression and who were like, yeah, dude, I know what that's like. Now let me tell you about, you know, Ben Ha, for example, who's written about his experience um, where I, I think he had a, um, a suicide attempt, right, in college. And, you know, Ben and I would hang out together and I felt this this kinship and this sense of not being alone and that yeah. was so important so big to me um at the time it still is it still is like i think i think ben and i are going to be tight whether we hang out once a year or once a month for the rest of my life i'm going to be close with that guy yeah. because of that shared experience and it is um i think immensely powerful to feel like even though you're going through these emotions you are not the only person who's having them there are other people who have them too, and they feel an equal or greater amount of, you know, depth of misery and self-loathing um, and disgust for their actions and resentment at themselves uh, and an inability to forgive themselves for what they've done. Um, and that, <laughs> even though that sounds horrible, like who would want to spend time with a person like this? Well, guess what? Other people are going through it. Yeah. Uh, and that is why I wrote the blog post. Because I wanted to, I wanted to give that shared experience to you know the whoever to the thousands of people who might be going through it who I would never get to meet in person. Well, actually, when I 
was depressed. I was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I actually had no one to talk to because people didn't understand it. Yeah. And my fam- my dad had no idea. He didn't get it. He's just like, why would you go see a therapist? You know, like, this is life. And then other friends I even had from college, like, I just sort of disappeared because I just went dark, you know, and I was off the map because I didn't really want to hang out with people. And it was more, I went, like, reclusive. So there's so much, I mean, the internet's been helpful. It's grown. There's so much more understanding about it. It's less scapegoated. But I think a lot of people saw me as weak. Yeah. And you know, people in my, in my college group or people I graduated with, I lived in Washington, D.C., they didn't get it. And they're like, you know, you're being a pussy, <laughs> right? Like, that was really what I was getting from different, like, verbatim. Yeah. Like, the male ego. Yeah, like, yeah. Just that, suck it up, man. There's, a, there's an inherent gendered insult to it, right? That yeah. That's this idea of um, having emotions and being uh, uh, sensitive to other people's emotions and... Um, you know, understanding yourself, right? That that belongs in this bucket of uh, things we don't associate startup founders and CEOs and executives and successful yeah. people with. Um, and I think that it, it it's one of the uh, you know sayings that um, that I've heard from a lot of people in the world of feminism, right? That that the patriarchy, right? The idea of these things being gendered, right? Of using pussy as an insult to say, hey, you depressed person, you don't belong in the successful group. It doesn't just hurt women, it hurts all of us. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you've clearly felt it, I've clearly felt it too. I think, um, I think it's bullshit. I think it's something we, we should all be fighting against. Well, so stigmatized. Yeah. That like, it was this sign that I wasn't dealing with it. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what's going on. Like, this is not normal. I wasn't like this a couple years ago, and I have no idea how, how to articulate this. I even went to therapy. I, I think I wasted some money talking to different people. But it really was it was very bizarre because you don't know what's happening, yeah. but you're off. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I'll give you my uh, you know one of my favorite examples, which is I, I speak at a lot of conferences and events. Um, and I, I did even during the time that yeah. I was depressed. Uh, and I would go to I these performed things. stand-up with... comedy when I was depressed. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I'm trying to make you laugh. <laughs> I, I mean, I, my understanding actually is that is not unusual at all. A lot of folks who are in comedy yeah. um, have some really deep issues like That's that. That's one of the reasons why I retired was because the people that were turned to it really, you know, they had axes to grind. Yeah, but you, sure. you But you speak a lot, but do you speak about this topic? Uh, no, but I, you know, so I would speak about marketing topics and people would come up to me, you know, after there'd be like a line of, of folks at an event and, uh, and they'd say like things like, it's so great to meet you. You know, I've been a Moz customer for years. I love your tools and software. And I would literally right there, try and convince them that our products were shit and that they should go use someone else's. Wow. That that's a weird thing for a founder. Not who, good for marketing. Yeah. Not great for marketing. For a marketing company has, to market itself. <laughs> you know, and I still had. You don't get it, dude. This is like the worst product. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So just very, very unusual it's thing. Like I mean, this I weird would, self. Yeah, just self hatred thing. Yeah. Um, just you know, sort of disgust and 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 jealousy too, right? Jealousy. I'd look out at other people building things and go, "Well, clearly, look at that. They're having no problems at all, and everything's magical for them." And you know, we're this shit show. And so do you think raising all that money set you set you set you up to potentially have this happen more, more not more easily but just more more uh it gave you a chance to say hey man the, the stakes are high now yeah uh it certainly made us more it made us more aggressive uh with with our plans and more willing to stop being iterative in our development and take like, you know, multiple years to go yeah. build one big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, try and have this huge success, which turned out to be a terrible failure. But um, what you mentioned is like a tough thing for you to, you're good at like yeah. doing the stuff that you needed to do. And yeah. Right. And it took, I, I mean, I think it took, it took probably a good year, year and a half for that product to actually recover and become a good product again after we 
you know, spent all this time launching Which it. Which really we, isn't abnormal in the tech no, world. It, it's not, but, you know, we could have easily built a slightly better version of each of the features inside our previously existing product and just sort of rebuilt, which is what most software companies do, right? You see, you know, Facebook isn't like, okay, there's going to be nothing <laughs> right. happening on Facebook for two years, and then we're going to build a whole new Facebook. Yeah. They iterate and they test things and they see what works and, you know, they're smart, right? right. And that's how, that's how you should build. But, um, you know, we, when we had, when I had this experience, you know, I do things like, um, what seem now to me like relatively crazy things, which I, I would come home, I watched a kid's cartoon uh, and, and I, I, could, I would watch, you know, probably five to six hours of it in a row when I got home from work over and over again, these 12 minute yeah. episodes of Adventure Time and, um, you know, to where I knew almost all the lines by heart and wasn't really paying attention to them and, you know, was just kind of crying inside my head and watching this this kid's show and, um, and then I'd go to work, right, from whatever it was, 10 or 11 p.m. until 2 or 3 or 4 a.m. And I, it was it was a mess. I watched Survivor a lot. And <laughs> yeah. it's a show I wouldn't have even consider watching today. I wouldn't I even... actually, I still watch Adventure Time, but, you know, I watched At least that's a quality show that, that you enjoyed. Time. I just watched, or The View. I was into The View. I was like, this the is, what, what is going on? Wow. Yeah. Huh. It was I, just, I, you know, I've never seen it. So, yeah, but. it's not really. I mean, it was like Barbara Walters, and but I found myself like looking to escape in ways that like the TV was so easy. Yeah, and you could check out. It didn't matter what I was watching, as long as I was familiar enough with it that it felt like it was comforting. Yeah, and then you, but then you, or sleeping was good too, because then you like sort of escape, but then you wake up again, and you're like, Sh the problems have not gone away. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that actually triggered kind of the end of my depression and that I wrote about in this blog post um, was that I, uh, so Washington State, as you may know, like Colorado has legalized marijuana. Yeah. And uh, I tried an edible, not not maybe for the first time, but certainly in that strong a dose for the first time. And I had a, I would call a pretty bad experience that first night that I tried it, those, those first six hours. But... Um, the next day, Saturday and Sunday, uh, that weekend, I really, I was very checked out of my own head. Um, and I, I was not depressed, right? It was like the sort of the, the, the drug had altered my head in a way that I couldn't really think about work stuff. And all I was thinking about was just, I don't know, whatever, you know, what am I going to make for lunch? Oh yeah, that sounds really good. I'm gonna make that for lunch. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm gonna eat this thing, right? I was just living in the moment, right? And um, and being disconnected from my depression and also from um, my back pain, which I, I've had for many years, that was that was powerful, and it had this um, almost like a, a catalyst for helping me recognize the problem space that I was in and working slowly. You know, still many months later. Um, that I that I finally would call it call myself kind of out of it, but slowly got out of it. So now that you have a lesser role and not the CEO, did you find there was anxiety that went along with that because you felt like you weren't as busy? Because a lot of times when you're depressed, it helps just to do stuff for the sake of doing stuff. Yeah. To get out, like how was that bridge? Well, so <laughs> this may be odd. I I'm not sure that I'm any less busy. I'm probably a little less busy. Um, but I, I have filled the time appropriately, right? So I took on this project where I'm writing a book, um, and I became, you know, more active in, um, evangelism and in content creation and those kinds of things. And I, I stepped back from some of the one-on-one -on -one meetings that I had and some of the, you know, a lot of the, um, personal conflict stuff that I would deal with at Moz, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, still, Still very, very busy. Took on a product manager, product architect kind of role for a new product we've been building. And um, so did not, yeah, didn't have too much of a change there. Uh, I still have a personal, uh, you know, an executive assistant who my calendar is <laughs> completely filled. Talking right? to people she, like me. Yeah, yeah, she, right. She you you have us. another meeting today. We had to reschedule this. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're busy. Yeah. I have my exact, you know, I have my 30 minutes after this that I can walk to work and then all my meetings in the afternoon and all that. So for uh, someone listening right now that feels like they are a startup founder, 
or even just a person working on their own projects, like what what would you recommend they do? Like what did you do? Like do you have any rituals that you feel like helped you sort of like break the the, the rigidness of how you felt? Um, I think that I think that two things help tremendously. One is um, having very low power distance in your organization with the rest of your team members um, and making sure that they can call you on good and bad decisions and um, good and bad emotions. Like accountability for using a corporate word. Yeah. Right. I mean, accountability, accountability shouldn't be a corporate word. I know. Right. But it's like in startups, it's like, no, I mean, we're just like, we do things quickly and we're agile and which is which is great, right? Yeah. That's that's terrific. But I think that it um, it pays to have someone who can check your authority, um, especially as a founder. Uh, that's that's a hard thing to do. But I think you need to you as a founder need to encourage that behavior, right? It's if somebody gives you a your, hard time, painful for your ego. Yeah, right. But... If somebody gives you a hard time in a meeting, even if you think they're dead wrong, just awfully, awfully wrong, and you can prove them wrong a hundred different ways, it's your job to you know, tell them why you think they're wrong and walk, walk them through it, right? Have that explanation, but then say, thank you. Thank you for disagreeing. Disagreement is so helpful. I'm glad you forced me to prove this. I want people to keep doing that. I don't want yes men and yes women. I want, you know, a a group of equals who feel like there is no power distance, who know that we're all in this together um, and who will call me out every time they think I'm wrong and don't mind, um, you know, the fact that I might be the founder. Right. So I think that's very healthy. The other thing, um, it's, well, let's see, it's not quite a ritual, but it has helped me a lot. And that is um, uh, personal analytics tracking. So I have a, I have a Fitbit that keeps track of my sleep and, Mm -hmm. you know, weight and, and um, um, what should we call it? Uh, Heart rate and all that kind of stuff. And that's been that's been really good for me because if I see that my sleep is creeping down below you know a seven and a half eight hour average for a week, I'll just be like, hey, you know what? Too bad we're taking a big dose of Nyquil tonight and we're sleeping in because mm-hmm. we I know that without seven and a half to eight hours of sleep, I go into a bad place. Um, and I know the same is true if I don't get exercise, right. my heart rate starts to rise, my weight gets big. All those things. So what about, um, what books have you read recently that you, you like? Uh, let's see. I actually, I've been reading, I've been reading an advanced copy. Uh, you, you can't get it quite yet, but, uh, in two weeks you'll be able to, uh, book from the guys at Google ventures. They wrote a book called sprint. Um, and it's all about how to validate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Build ideas in five days. Yeah. I read, I read their article about how they picked a cover. Yeah. I'm going through, I've been through like 15 like different versions of a cover. I'm waiting <laughs> to get it done so I can put the pre-sale on Amazon. Yeah. And it's it's an agonizing process. It is. But it they is. like open they opened up the the behind the curtain and pretty much Did you read the article? Yeah, I did. They uh, like one friend was just like did a quick fix and then they after all the time they'd spent. I love the visual, right? Cuz they had this visual layout of all the different covers they had looked at and you know, um, and what they eventually went with and why. And that was great. But so, yeah, I was, uh, last night I was just reading that. Oh, cool. It's very, very inspired, right? Because it's sort of, it gets to this whole challenge that Moz, is, Moz had when I was depressed, right? Around like, hey, let's build this big, huge thing that's not going to work because we didn't test and validate it. Um, I think it makes processes and ideas like what you see in Lean Startup and the MVP model um, actionable. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, here's what you do on the Monday, Here's what you do on oh, the nice. Friday. Here's what you do in between. And then you're done. Like More, you have this. It's a framework. Yeah. It's beautiful. Any other good books you've read in the last six months? Um, a lot. I, uh, I really, so I read a lot of mysteries. Mm-hmm. I don't know if um, you're so a big you're, mystery you're, esca- you're escaping the business world. Do you like to? I actually, I would say I read probably five fiction books for every nonfiction book. Okay. Uh, maybe even 10. Oh, nice. But I really liked, um, Claire DeWitt in the City of the Dead okay. by Sarah Graham. That was a, a great mystery. There's a book called by Derek Miller called Norwegian by Night that I loved. Okay. Uh, Carol Rifka Braun wrote uh, Tell the Wolves I'm Home. That was a heartbreaking but beautiful book. I uh, loved it. 
Yeah. Does are... reading books that are fiction help you escape and, you know, you're not thinking about work because I read a lot of business books and it's like, no, there's no, it blurs together. Yeah. Right. It's like you're still working when you're thinking. I think there is, there's two elements. One of the things that, um, that I find in fiction books, especially, you know, what I'd say really good fiction books, there's total escapist fiction. And I read some of that too. Um, but in great fiction, I think there's two things that I pick up. One is more examples of great writing. And I find myself imitating and empathizing with authors all the time, right. In my own writing. And uh -huh. so that's, that's something that I try and do. And then the second thing is, I think you build empathy for characters um, and you build relationships with um, with people in a way that television and movies, it's much harder to do that. I don't know why exactly, at least yeah. for me. Um, I do it much more with books. And then I find myself being able to relate to circumstances and situations and geographies um, in a different, more powerful way. What about any movies? Speaking of, what, what movies have you seen recently? Uh, I, Geraldine and I, my wife and I went to go see Deadpool. That was, um, it was fun. Although the second half of the movie was kind of, I felt like you could have walked out halfway through and been like, all right, that was great. I saw it. Yeah. Let's go to dinner. Yeah. Let's go to dinner. Um, that was pretty fun. And I, uh, what, what did we see before that? I think the last movie we saw about before that was the, the new star Wars. Okay. I still haven't seen that. Yeah. I have a two year old. I've seen one movie a year i saw the big short yeah all right that was a yeah. good one um and then what what's a good what, what good food did you eat that you think was oh man helpful for your depression uh helpful for my depression i don't know about helpful for my depression <laughs> but um if you are in new york city go to prince street pizza i i thought it was the best slice of pizza i've had in uh many years it's not traditional new york style it's it's almost like a little bit of a a mix between like, I don't know, an Italian style and Chicago, but which is weird. I know it sounds weird. Just go, just okay. go. You'll love it. It's amazing. Okay. Um, do you drink smoothies? Yeah. Yeah. I like smoothies. Coffee? Yes. A lot of it? <laughs> a, a healthy amount. You know, I'd say I'm like a two cup a day. Not okay. A well, that's like, with, with, it's within reason. Yeah. What about tea? Uh, I generally don't love tea although when i was in south africa i got really into ribus um, what's that ribus tea it's like a i think it's a plant that grows uh endemically only in south africa um in the western cape and it's delicious okay well cool we're gonna wrap up i we have to talk about the book i mean your okay. book your book you signed on it's one of your many projects yeah what's, what's the idea behind that uh, so uh, again, it's going back to transparency. You know, the book is very much focused on startup struggles, those faced by Moz and those faced by um, many other startups. Uh, it describes, you know, a lot of the ways that we push through many of these challenging things. So, you know, semi-impossible things, not impossible, but things that you hear are impossible, like it's impossible to uh, start a successful company with family. It's impossible to um, move from a services business, a consulting business to a product software based business. Um, it's impossible to build a successful software company. If you're not a software engineer yourself, right. Um, you know, all these kinds of myths and, and struggles that, uh, the, the book tries to, to walk through and dispel. And then there's a bunch of, you know, sort of more actionable, like, here's how we did this thing, right? Here's how I built a pitch deck that eventually did get venture capital. And here's my advice for building a pitch deck. Um, here's, you know, uh, how we built a marketing flywheel with content and SEO, uh, and how that brought us lots of customers at a very low cost of customer acquisition, which meant that we had a high, you know, a very quick payback period, which meant we could operate profitably, even though we didn't raise money, all those kinds of things. So it's actionable and it's also anecdotal. Yeah. Actionable, anecdotal, and it's narrative driven, right? So you'll kind of walk through the story of Moz, uh, through the book. Are you calling it semi impossible? semi-impossible but that's probably better than the the current name no it, so we went to the publisher under the um what do they call that basically the beta name uh-huh uh which is not going to be the actual title of transparent entrepreneur yeah i don't particularly like so yeah. i'm sure they're going to come up with a better title but well the influencer economy i am stuck with it now i i didn't it was my beta to launch i mean it's a meme man like you know that 
that rolls off the tongue. I feel like <laughs> right. I'm gonna I'm gonna be seeing references to it all over. Hopefully, no, I'd love to send you an advanced copy. And uh, I very I'd love that. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. This has been great. It's probably been the most honest podcast I've done. I've <laughs> well, never talked I... about my own personal depression, but I think I, one thing I've learned through this whole process is when you when you have a community, it's really important to like try to represent people that maybe are out there that are a little underserved for yeah. things they're going through. Yeah. And I learned this. There's this great YouTube creator named Hannah Hart. This chapter in my book is, and she's a lesbian, but she's a YouTube creator. You know, and that sort of came out and she gets a lot of emails and she answers questions like, how do you ask a girl if she's gay? And like, huh, it's yeah. really like, but that's not who she is. It's just a one element of her personality. And I feel like depression, you know, is really something that people need to know. They're, they're not out there alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you're totally right. There's, there's visible and there's invisible aspects to all of us and, you know, it's a great reason not to judge people uh, based on based on anything, right? Based on how they look or how you think they are or who you think they are or what you think they are. Um, and it's a great reason to get to know people. Yeah, totally. Well, The Invisible Entrepreneur should be the name of your book. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I was going to riff off everything. But uh, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for checking out the podcast this week. Rand Fishkin's website, seomoz.com. Check it out for any marketing help with your analytics or just understanding your audience, SEO knowledge. Great guy. Thanks again for coming on, opening up. I'd never really spoken at length about anything related to being depressed when I was in my 20s living in Washington, D.C. and performing stand-up comedy at night while working at a, a nonprofit by day. So that was uh, really good for me. I hope you got something out of it. And check us out at influencereconomy.com.